Titus appears uh, in our Bible as what we call broadly a book. Uh, It stands on its own. You might have heard the more technical term, epistle. Maybe even your Bible says that at the top, the epistle of Titus. Uh, It's from an old Greek word. It means it's a letter. And we should read it as a letter. It's addressed by one man to another. In every way, it's a letter. It's named after the man it was written to, Titus. Uh, It's written by the Apostle Paul, only about 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. We're looking today just at verses 5 to 9. Uh, normally at this point in a letter from Paul, he's finished introducing himself and he's now telling the person or church that he's writing to just how thankful he is for them. Uh, as, yeah, this, is a, uh, this is a paraphrase of a few mashed together. He's, he'll say something at this point like, I give thanks to God continually, remembering you in my prayers for your faith and the abundant grace of God in Christ Jesus. Something like that. Uh, But Titus is one of Paul's shortest and punchiest letters and he wastes no time in getting down to business. Titus is heading up a very new and a very apparently chaotic church and ministry on the island of Crete. Uh, Crete is an island off Greece with wild terrain and if we read on, we'll come to this next week, even wilder people. And Paul gives Titus his first order of business Uh, In verse 5, he says, This is why I left you in Crete, so you may put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. The practical upshot uh, of this whole letter uh, and about this passage today is it's about putting into order. That's what we're talking about today, order. Putting the church into order. I'll pause for a moment right there because already I sense we're divided. Some people here put into order... And breathe a sigh of relief. Order. Yes. Give me structure. Give me predictability. Others hear order and hear something more like control, overbearing, suffocating. Order comes at the expense of being organic and natural and free-flowing. The correct form of order should bring out the best in both worlds. On the one hand, reliability, justice, strength, on the other hand, flexibility, freedom, uh, warmth and relational um, and a relational element. I do want to say order, when it's done right, it isn't the enemy of organic. Even nature obeys rules and systems. And the beauty of the order that God uh, imposes, so to speak, on the church is that it is organic. The order that God imposes on the church is derived from nature. It's almost as if, imagine this, almost as if the same God imprinted the same principles in his creation that he imprinted in his church. The main metaphors for structure in the church don't come from the world of business and commerce or from industry and machines, but from family. In verse 4, Paul calls Titus his true son and in verses 5 to 9 Paul says the church should get its oversight from men who he calls elders whose training ground is the family home and whose performance criteria are based primarily on their family and neighbourly relationships. So we're looking today at the qualifications of elders since that's what Paul says Titus's first business is. He says uh, to give the church order by appointing elders in every town. So a couple of quick comments about elders and, uh, and how they might be appointed. 
Uh, Every Christian denomination is structured differently. Uh, The Presbyterian Church, which we're all in today, uh, borrows its name from the Greek word in the New Testament uh, for elders. Uh, It's the word uh, presbyteros. But that's other... Uh, But that's not to say that other, uh, sorry, other Christian churches uh, use the same qualifications that we'll find in Titus, they just may not necessarily use the the word elder. Uh, They might have different terminology in their structures, but Christian churches will all uh, value and prize these same uh, qualifications. Paul tells Titus here to appoint elders. What he doesn't say exactly is the process for this. Paul may be giving Titus his apostolic permission to make an executive decision. Titus on his own says, you, you and you, elders. Uh, But presumably Titus was free to seek nominations from the townsfolk in the communities that he was less familiar with. He was asked to uh, appoint elders in every town and he can't have known all the qualified people uh, in every town. Uh, He may have taken a vote even, we don't know. In the Presbyterian Church, we try to marry the process from both directions, whereby the congregation nominates and votes on their elders, uh, and the existing elders train and approve uh, the incoming elders. Uh, Our church, uh, just for reference, has three formal elders. That's myself uh, and Bernard uh, and Ben up the back. We are not currently in a formal process of appointing new elders in our church, but we are never not open to receiving worthy nominations. And we should all together always be on the lookout for quality role models in the church. Uh, And Paul says in a different letter to Timothy that it's noble to desire to be an elder uh, or an overseer. And so the expectation is that there will be men in our church trending in this direction. In fact, as we look at the formal qualifications for elders in the next couple of verses, we'll see that they really reflect nothing more than mature Christianity. There's two broad categories that spill out in the next three verses. Uh, Order in the church is served by men who display order in two key spheres. One is order in the home uh, and the second is order in his personal life. Uh, Order in the home and order in the personal. So we'll look first at order in the home, verses 6 and 7. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife... And his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. Uh, There's two precise expectations in there. That he is the husband of one wife uh, and and has children who are believers. Uh, These are family-oriented goals. A further indication of this uh, is kind of hidden in our English translation. In verse 7, the word steward, uh, the Greek word is from two separate words for law and house. So a steward or an elder is a manager of the household. This is a family feel. Uh, And that's what church is. Church is a family. It is not a business or an organisation in that way. Uh, And we see these two specific things, uh, wife and kids, sandwiched between this more general statement that really is the guiding principle for everything in these verses, that he is a man who must be above reproach. Some Bibles Bibles translate the word as blameless, blameless, above reproach. Uh, What it does not mean is that an elder must be perfect. That would be uh, impossible. 
Uh, Generally speaking, this is the language of reputation. Uh, How is this man uh, spoken of and thought of? What do people say about him? Is he liked? Do people murmur about the way he treats his wife? Does he have a good name in business? Now, a brief caution about this, and and again, this will come up later in Titus as well. Uh, No one can completely control what others will say about them. This is a language of reputation, but uh, you, you cannot manage uh, your rapu- reputation perfectly. Uh, a good example of this is Jesus. He's a perfect example, in fact, in more ways than one. Jesus was perfect, but he was accused by some as being a drunkard. He was accused by the same people at other times of being a heretic, and he was neither. But he was found guilty and received the death penalty, even though he was perfectly innocent. So that's just to say that good people will come under attack. We need to exercise multiple levels of judgment to the kind of noise that we might hear about a person. And that's to say too that uh, just because someone gets heralded as you know, being a top bloke and one of the boys and that's all, you know, all anyone ever has to say about him, that doesn't make him necessarily the kind of man uh, who should be leading in a church either. Uh, What we notice about these expectations of elders is that they can only be observed from close quarters. You can only know about a man's marriage and children by being close to him, by spending time with him, by living in relationship and community with him. Rumours and hearsay should dissolve pretty easily when you've spent time in someone's home and sat around their table. Let's look at the specifics. First one, a husband of one wife. Now, I reckon... The sticky question here is, what does this say about divorce? You might say to me, that's not sticky at all, Rod. It's obvious. One wife means one wife. But what about when one wife does not mean one wife? For example, Paul, who wrote the letter, had zero wives. Jesus had zero wives. Were these men not eligible to be leaders in the church? Well, absolutely not. Of course, they, of course they were eligible. What about the man whose wife died and he's remarried? He has had two wives. Does this rule him out? Again, surely not. Also, what about the man uh, with one wife but a mistress on the side? He has only one wife. Or the man who's only been technically married once but has a history of mistreating and discarding women? Or the man who is married but currently separated, maybe even indefinitely separated, he technically has one wife. Or the man who has one wife but habitually tears her down. Now, I don't want to have muddied the waters so much now so as to suggest that what Paul says in Scripture is in any way unclear. It's not a, I don't think it's unclear at all. Quite obviously, I think the principle of above reproach, before and after, is an invitation for us to exercise judgment and prudence. To look at a man's family life and marriage situation and history and make a call about whether or not it matches both God's standard and society's reasonable expectations. That second one is important too because throughout Titus we'll be reminded that the church's appearance in the eyes of the world matters for our our mission. So we measure a man uh, and his conduct in the home by God's standard and by society's reasonable expectations. And finally on this, it's also worth recognising that elders 
like all Christians, are allowed to have a past. Christianity is built on forgiveness and repentance. Uh, that God, the fact that God wipes the slate clean and gives us, his children, a fresh start. Now, this would have been particularly important in Titus's context in Crete, where he is building a church among a community of people who have not grown up with Christian values, but with Greek values. The men he selects must be running a new race from the one they grew up with. It would be wise to judge how far a man has progressed in his race, how distant is the memory of his starting point before launching him into church leadership. Uh, But there's a good chance there'll be men who are now reasonable candidates who have a history. The expectations of church leadership... um, are not entirely the same as the expectations for salvation. Uh, It is important for everyone here to be reminded, man, woman or child, that what matters isn't how high you're eligible to climb in the structures of the church. What matters really is how God sees you. If you have drawn near to God, if you have abandoned all other hope for him alone, then you can be certain that he forgives you. He loves you. He welcomes you into his kingdom uh, and into his family. Speaking of family, uh, the other expectation of an elder is that his children will be believers and not known for disobedience. Like the last point on marriage, this can raise some questions. Well, if a man doesn't have children, does he not have enough runs on the board to be considered for eldership? And again, I refer you to Paul and to Jesus, both men who had no children. Or the many people who can't have children due to you know, fertility or health issues. Uh, I have read uh, in my study for this passage that, uh, that we should stop judging a man on his children's belief and behaviour after the children have grown up and are no longer children, but they're adults and leading their own adult life. And, I, you know, I actually have mixed feelings about that observation. That is reasonable on one level. They're not his children. They're not under his roof anymore. But, uh, but, it, but isn't that also kind of the real test? Not just whether his children toe the line under his roof, but whether they go on in their faith as well. Anyway, there's, there's things to weigh up. There's judgments to be made. And again, the question we should be addressing is not so much the behaviour of the children, although that's obviously one measure of the thing, but the behaviour of the man. How does he manage his children? And some children at some times are just unmanageable. Uh, But is he, in his parenting, above reproach? When his children disobey, do you walk away thinking, he didn't do anything? Or, he came down way too hard, that was uncomfortable. Now let me say this, uh, as someone, an elder, uh, who is inviting scrutiny, uh, but I also say this as an ordinary parent... Parental scrutiny is an impossible standard. You will never meet your own expectations, let alone the vast array of expectations your neighbours and even sometimes your family will will put on you. Mums and dads, we should try to be excellent because of God's love for us and his love for our children. Uh, But we should never expect to please everyone 
So let's have high expectations. Let's also have high levels of tolerance and grace for ourselves and each other. Uh, We've looked at a man's order in the home. We'll look uh, just very quickly now at the rest of verse 7 and 8 for the order that a man should be exercising in his personal life. I've left uh, above reproach, above reproach up there because, again, that's our guiding principle. An overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. A couple of broad strokes before a couple of specific comments. First of all, remember above reproach. I've already said that. That's the general principle. The second broad stroke is this. Notice that this list of things an elder must not be are the kinds of sins you'd probably expect to see tied to positions of power and men with ambition. Uh, Arrogance, temper, uh, greed, specifically. Which invites us to remember that Jesus' model of leadership was to serve. His path to be greater is to be lesser. Uh, We should not follow the patterns of the world uh, in terms of leadership. So, specifically, must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. Now, I guess every person is going to have a smack of pride and temper in there somewhere. Ideally, you're going to want to see a man, though, who invites the opposite descriptions. Can you see arrogance? Can you see a temper? Perhaps, probably. Look hard enough, you'll find it. But are they really the words that you would use to describe the man? Humble and patient is really what we're looking for. To consider someone generally patient is not to deny that they may occasionally lose their cool. Uh, It's observing what's normal for them and how they respond when they do lose their cool. Are they repentant? Are they growing? Uh, It's often advisable to see people with small spheres of responsibility before promoting them too highly, so to speak. So it's common in a church, before you uh, become a candidate for eldership or ministry, to have helped lead uh, a small group or a children's group or something like that. Because small responsibilities can still give the wrong person a weirdly big power rush. Have you seen that? Uh, I remember at school, I'm going back to sort of year 12 days, they had uh, school leaders or, or, or school prefects, we called them in our school, um, and there was, uh, you know, there was sports captains and the like, there was uh, prefects who were nominated by the students, and then within each house of the school, at the school I was at, there was um, a couple of house prefects were nominated, and they were the people who, you know, sort of missed out on being prefect, they didn't really have any roles or responsibilities, but they were recognised within their house. I had a friend who, who we called Duck Boy for our own reasons, he became uh, a house prefect, and boy, did it go to his head, house prefect. He was the only house prefect who wore the house prefect badge. Everyone else was sort of mildly embarrassed by the title. But, but isn't that the case? That even small levels of responsibility can go way, way to a person's head. And so it's, it's important to observe people in small areas before giving them greater areas. Shouldn't be a drunkard or violent. Well, let's just say, you know, obviously, totally out of the question. I will say, on the drunkenness thing, some men can hold their drink, can't they? But just because you might be the kind of unusual creature who can down a whole bottle of scotch and wake up without a headache doesn't mean you should. We are demanded to be temperate, self-controlled, will come up later as well, and absolutely not violent. Must not be greedy, 
Now, in the context, uh, this, is one of, this is one of the issues that Paul is trying to fight against as well. Uh, we'll come next week to looking in the next part of the passage that some of the people that Paul uh, is fighting against are leaders within the church who are uh, greedy for gain. Uh, they're in it to line their own pockets. Uh, but that is not the model for leadership in the church. I will say this about the way we structure giving uh, in, in this church, uh, is that uh, my wage is set. Uh, it's high, I feel, um, and you can see that. Um, but I've already hit my ceiling. It's not going up. Um, and, uh, and I don't know who gives and how much. And we do that on principle. Uh, that's important so that I'm not uh, tempted or inclined to sidle up uh, and favour those who, who I think might uh, push a bit more money our way. Then there's the opposite. These are the bad, he goes to the good. Uh, again, just very quickly here, must be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. There is such a thing as fake hospitality. Last weekend, I invited some friends around to our house and then remembered that the house was messy and Nat didn't know that I'd invited them. Gio looked really hospitable when I said, hey, come round, it doesn't matter. But hospitality is a, is a, team, uh, a team sport. I had to backpedal and uninvite them uh, out of respect for my wife. Um, Lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. Uh, these are things actually that we're going to flesh out a little bit more. These are things that uh, you can and should uh, expect to see uh, in an elder or a leader in the church. But really, uh, this is for everyone. Just going to finish here. This is sort of the point in the end. Verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. There's a couple of skills required, but they're hidden. Give instruction. An elder should be a teacher. Rebuke. An elder should be brave and maybe a bit tactful. But notice what is behind both of those things and notice really how few specific skills are mentioned here. You know, imagine, and particularly notice how there's nothing that looks like a management skill at all. This is not a corporation. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. That is an elder's first job. That is any Christian person's real first job and and like I've said eldership is sort of you know it's really nothing more than mature Christianity and it is and it's actually notice this as well it is actually the man's life and his conduct his ability to hold to the instruction that gives him the authority to then teach in sound doctrine and to rebuke others who contradict it again this is going to come out out so richly through the rest of Titus, that we are to teach with our lives. And to the extent that you are in a role to teach with your words, you must have first laid a foundation with your life. So that is not to say that words are not important. 
sharing the gospel, giving the message, uh, preaching the word, crucial to a person taking hold of the truth and believing it in faith. But it can only come from someone who holds firm to the truth themselves. And notice again that holding firm to the trustworthy word as taught does not result in a man with an encyclopedic mind of doctrine uh, and Bible verses, but a man who loves his wife and cherishes and nurtures his children and who guards his private life. I'll say this to end. Our role models have their place, but... We do not derive our salvation from our elders or our role models or our spiritual leaders. And I encourage you finally, uh, all of us, to be looking to the true overseer and shepherd of our faith, uh, the Lord Jesus. He is the one who has given us the perfect model. Uh, He is the one who has given us himself for our salvation. So he is the one we trust. Let's pray. Father, as each uh, Sunday comes to a close, we, uh, we give you thanks for your word. Uh, it is true, it is good, uh, it's good for our souls, uh, it is so plain. Uh, we thank you for the clarity uh, with which uh, the, 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 these roles are set out. Uh, we thank you uh, for the example that you have given us first and foremost in Jesus, a man who managed himself scrupulously and perfectly. Uh, We thank you that he is the true overseer of our faith and we pray that we may uh, place our trust wholly uh, and again and again in him. Father, we uh, pray for the elders in your church. It's a high bar. And we pray that you'll help them uh, to meet it and exceed it. We pray that you will help them uh, to humbly repent uh, when they fail to meet expectations. Father, we pray that uh, you will supply their every need. And Father, we pray for, uh, for our church uh, that you will continue to raise your people up uh, in spiritual maturity We pray that you will give us uh, a glut of people to choose from, uh, if not formally, but at least informally, because we all uh, need our role models. Father, we pray that you will uh, forgive us for our sins and you will help us to walk, uh, keep in step uh, with your spirit as we seek to follow our Lord Jesus. Amen.